For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love is carried us. You're listening to the sermon podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning. <clears throat> this is a reading from the Gospel of Luke. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. It's fun to be here in the summer. Thanks, Brian. Um, one of the things that when you're preparing a scripture and you're looking at a passage, you have a whole bunch to choose from. And the one that I chose today was because I couldn't get past one verse in it. So I'm not sure where we're going to go today, but I know one verse for sure that we're going to cover. I did study the whole passage. I want you to know that. But um, in light of that, uh, the, the thing that kept coming to me over and over again is last time I preached, I preached about Jesus's wounds and his uh, hands and his feet. And I challenged us with a question, why would Jesus choose to come back from life, from death, to recover from death, and not clear his hands of those wounds? And somebody, you guys said, because the wounds that we suffer in this life are actually sacred. So what if Jesus was trying to show us that we can be fully resurrected and still have wounds? So when I got to this passage today, it felt like, whoa, I feel like this is kind of a continuation and or else maybe I'm just trying to see that. But the reality is, is I came upon it again because right before the passage that Brian read to us, right before that, it's mentioned again that Jesus is showing people his wounds. And he's saying, here, here are my scars, my feet. See who I am. This is actually me. So why does Jesus spend so much time on these scars? And why does Jesus spend so much time trying to help us see who he is with the scars. So, what happens right before this passage that Brian read is that Jesus is out walking on the road and he runs into two people, Cleopas and his friend. And his friend. They're walking out on the road. And he starts to talk with them and they're like, who are you? I mean, you don't know what's been going on here in Jerusalem. Uh, like, really, guy, this, this is, like, amazing. Somebody's died, and they're having this great conversation with him, and it isn't until they invite him to come back with them, to stay with them and eat dinner, and it's not until Jesus breaks the bread with them, it says that their eyes are open, and then they can see that it's Jesus. And they're like, Whoa. and then Jesus vanishes, and it's like, Whoa, weren't our hearts like burning inside of us? Didn't we know this? How did we, how did we miss this? 
So Jesus, they run the seven miles back to hang out with all the guys and the, uh, the other disciples. And when they get back there, they're like, you won't believe what happened. They're going, no, you won't believe what's happened to us. And they start having this exchange of the supernatural kind of thing going on. And they're like, what? did you see the scars? I saw the scars. Did you see this? And once again, suddenly Jesus appears and they're all like, whoa, wait, what? Who are you? And they're kind of scared again. And Jesus says, give me some fish. I'll show you that I'm real. Let me eat it. So he eats the fish, and they're like, oh, this is Jesus. You're, you are like real with these scars and these wounds. And then Jesus says to them, you know, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So it wasn't that he hadn't told them about all of this, but they didn't get it. And then in verse 45, it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This word opened is dianoigo, and it means to open one's soul, to rouse understanding or the desire of learning. In one context, it talked about it like the birth canal that actually opens for the first time to recognize that new life can come through it, that the body knows what to do in that moment. It is opened up. So question, and here at Genesis, what we believe is we believe that the chorus of many versus the voice of one, we want it holds more value for us to explore. So I have a question for you. And it's a yes or no question to start with. And I know we normally don't do yes or no questions. But we're going to start with a yes or no question. And the basic question is, have you ever had your mind open to the scriptures so you would understand them? Or we could be a little bit more rowdy than that. Yeah, we have, right? That's, and that's really cool, right? Now, here's my second question with that. I don't want you to answer right away. I want you just to hold it for a moment. What does it look like to have one's soul roused? What does it look like? What does it look like to have one's soul roused? To understand something that you never understood before. And that's what I want to explore this morning. So... I do believe it's a good all-play question, but I wanted you to hold it for just a minute. Genesis, what does it look like to have your soul roused to understanding of Scripture? And how have you experienced it? Ooh, like seeing in color when it was black and white before. Thank you. It's confusing. It can be confusing, can it? Yeah. Mm. It's 
Sometimes we can get angry because of the past ways we've experienced or heard it and thought we understood it. Who said that? Vulnerable. It feels vulnerable, doesn't it? It does take time to process and hold the new place. And what helps us to process, what helps us with the anger, what helps us with the confusion? Space? Community? Time. Yes. I want to say, this morning when we sang the song, This Is My Father's World, you guys, when I first started, I mean, I grew up in the church. I used to play in the baptismal, believe it or not. Um, we, we used to swim in it, you know, the couple days before, you know, so I think we were blessing the water or something. I'm not really sure. But I grew up in the church, but I grew up in a church in a community that was very um, non-approving of women as leaders. And so that was this, that's a part of my journey. It's not now, thank goodness, when I look at young girls today and I just am so grateful, they may not have that same journey, but that was a real journey for me. And I used to play standing at my dad's pulpit and I would play preaching. And then deacons would happen to come in if they saw me doing it and they would just tell me, you need to get down, you can't do that, you're a girl. And as soon as they left, my dad had built me a little step. He says, honey, don't worry about it, just go do it again, it's fine because it kept me busy probably more than anything. But my dad was also very approving of me. But one of the things that happened for me is there was a point when I was 17 and I was sitting in my church service in my own church where I was growing up, and the pastor was preaching about this element of repentance and repenting of our sins because we're all sinners and we are all headed for hell and all this stuff and how God really wanted perfection. And my 17-year-old soul stirred, and I stood up, and I looked at the preacher, and I said, if that's God, I'll rot in hell. And I turned and walked out. Now, (laughs) I'm really proud of that moment right now. I have to say, I carried a lot of shame for a lot of years. But the reality, the thing that I knew is something rose up inside of me And what do you think was rising up inside of me? Can you say it a little louder? Where did the truth come from? The Holy Spirit. But where did the Holy Spirit come from? Inside me, because why? Because I'd done something good? Because I'd prayed a right prayer? Because I had actually performed something in that moment that was good for the kingdom? That's not my theology. I, I need a no. I need a hell no. Oops, I'm so sorry. Dang it. Sometimes I forget that I'm not supposed to swear. Um, I, you guys, the reality is, is that didn't rise up because good theology. It rose up because part of my DNA is crafted in the image of God. And my DNA, something in me said, if that's who God is, I don't want that kind of God. I won't serve that kind of God. So it led me on a long journey, and the journey, part of the journey for me was that I began to turn away from God, I thought, the whole time God's pursuing me as I look back at my journey. But about 1989, I ran into a passage. I decided I was going to start with Scripture 
and I was going to start at the beginning, and I had to figure something out. Because if this, I wanted to know who God was. And now, I don't know why I didn't start in John, but I started in Genesis. And you guys, I made it only to Genesis 1. I couldn't make it past Genesis 1 because it asked a question, it begged a question in my heart. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Now let us make humanity in our own image according to our likeness. And I will never forget where I was sitting. I will never forget what I was wearing. I will never forget the smell of the air in that moment. And I don't know if it was a whisper, I don't know what, but something rose up in me, and it was, Becky, I like how you look like me. And I was like, what? Wait, this, this is me. I actually bear God's image. And it led me on a quest from that point forward of going, wait a minute. Like Will talked about this morning, this is our mother's world. God has mothered me at times. God has fathered me at times. God has gathered me at times. But guess what it took for me to step into that? And I'm guessing... I asked you guys, it does you too, it took some of my imagination. Quote from Richard Rohr is, many educated and sophisticated people are not willing to submit to indirect, subversive, and intuitive knowing. Which is probably why they rely far too much on external law and behavior to achieve their spiritual purposes. They know nothing else that feels objective and solitive, solid, intuitive truth, that inner whole-making instinct just feels too much like our own thoughts and feelings, and most of us are not willing to call this God. Even when the voice prompts us toward compassion instead of hatred, forgiveness instead of resentment, generosity instead of stinginess, bigness instead of pettiness. You know, it's interesting, I was holding the newest member of our community. You want to stand up, Enoch? Yay! Just a few moments ago, I forgot, what's her name? Olive. Olive. Oh. oh, if I could bring Olive right here right now. Um, one of the things that I think has happened, our imagination, you guys, is a gift from God. And it was way back when the, there was a huge split in our church that actually defined a lot of our faith, I want to say, between original sin and the goodness of God. And we created, Augustine made this, this term up, original sin, saying that everybody has been born sinful. Now, Olive was just born. Does anybody think Olive's a sinful person born? I'm sorry, I'm putting everybody on the spot. <laughs> and Olive, I'm not picking on you, but I'm using Olive as an illustration. There was somebody else, his name was Pelagius, and he said, to look into a child's face is to see the face of God. And that split the church, and he was thrown out of Rome by the Pope and sent into exile because the reality was, it was over the course of, wait, are children born sinful? That means all of us. 
Or are we born bearing God's image already? When that whisper came to me in 8089, one of the things that happened to me is I suddenly began to believe what my imagination was inviting me into. And I started to look at scripture and God is a mother hen and I knew, oh, there are times I've needed to be gathered. There are times I've needed to be gathered and that's God. Joan of Arc, one of my all-time heroes, was often quoted with this brilliant reply when she was told that she was a victim of her own imagination. She was a woman who was burned at the stake for believing in God and trying to unite um, within France. And she was, I think she was 17 when she was killed. She's one of my heroes. She has this brilliant statement when she was on trial. They would say to her, um, you are a victim of your own imagination. And she would reply, how else would God speak to me? In the innocence of who she was. And so part of this, Genesis, is what I'm asking you is, can we pause and notice the ways our imagination is calling us to remember the voice of God in us? Now, I started to reference, Will brought that song up this morning, which I absolutely loved. And this is our father's world. This is our mother's world. And does it feel, it might feel uncomfortable for some. It might because we've been indoctrinated and there can be anger in that for a very long time. There can be anger, but here's one of the ways that I think is brilliant that we will know it is the voice of God in us. Because if it's the voice of God, it stirs the very DNA of who we are and it propels itself forward and it doesn't become just about me. It becomes about us. Fast forward a number of years, and I was um, asked to speak at Bethel about, oh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say a, a university. Darn. <laughs> I was asked to speak at just a bunch of university students. And there's not, I was, I mean, this is really not against any, anybody. Please know that. Um, but I was asked to speak about the image of God as both male and female and um, about God's love for us. And so, and the basic differences of how I, a lot of times what I do is work with uh, gender differences. And so anyway, I was called in for this. The professor that brought me in, I'm speaking about this and during the midst of this, unbeknownst to me, there was a con contingency of young men that had gathered together, about 30 or 40 of them, and they decided that they were going to confront me as the speaker. And so one of the reasons that um, I, I didn't know that, so right in the middle of it, they stand up and they begin to tell me how I am literally causing them to sin because as a woman, I'm not allowed to teach men. And they point blank and they start pulling out scriptures and, and I, but you guys, this is you, I mean, I can actually, the reason I shared that first story and it wasn't very, I wasn't very graceful in how I did it. I know how to tear people down with words. I can do that. And I'm good at it. You can ask my husband. I'm not proud of it. But in that moment, something rose up inside me. They were talking about my very identity. And from within my DNA rose up a compassion, a grace, an absolute love for them. And what I want to say is, that had to be spirit DNA 
formed because the language they were using was challenging and mean and angry, so much so that I was police escorted out to my car. So how do we know it's the voice of God? Because in that moment, and that's part of this is, it will speak out into people. It doesn't mean that it won't disrupt things, but the reality is, is it will come forth grace moving forward to us. Because you know what came up after that, sir, after that time too? About 30 or 40 women came up to me. And you know what they started asking me? Why didn't you just nail them to the wall? Why didn't you take scripture and just batter them with it? You just loved them. How could you just love them? And I got to have a conversation with 30 or 40 women that night. It says, I don't think God wants us to be angry women fighting for something. I think God wants us to be women that love who we are enough that we can love all that God has made. I think... I'm going to quote Richard Rohr because I've been reading him in my inbox this week again, so I apologize for double-quoting him. But if anything, if any thought feels too harsh, shaming or diminishing of yourself or others, it's not likely the voice of God but our ego. Why do humans so often presume the exact opposite, that shaming voices are always from God and graced voices are warped imagination? So, what is experiencing God's voice, being roused to understanding Scripture, move you towards? Do you see the image of God in you? Because if you see the image of God in you, I guarantee you, you can't help but see it in others. And if you see it in others, how you're going to treat each other is going to be based on the DNA of God's Spirit in you and what moves you. So, you game for an experiment? Oh, I have one person who is, <laughs> and it's our yogi. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. Oh, it was John. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but Todd's going to agree with me. Okay, I'm going to ask you to um, sit where you are, and if you would put your hands on your lap with face, palms facing up. And this is what we call meditation. So take a deep breath in, and then let it out. Take another deep breath in and let it out. And our third one, we're going to take another deep breath in, really deep breath in and hold it. I'm going to count to four. One, two, three, four, and let it go. And what I'm going to ask you to do is keep your eyes closed. Hold your hands. Feel the weight of your hands on your knees. Notice the air that's touching the top of them. Notice the way your fingers are held, just curved just a little bit. Now notice your elbows. 
going all the way up your arms. These are hands and arms that God has created intentionally to be the loving presence of being with one another, to touch one another, to feel and experience this beautiful world we live in. I want you to let your imagination just show you a picture, a word, a thought of God's absolute, utter delight in you as one who bears God's own image. Let it stir your spiritual DNA. This is yours. And you are a part of God's beautiful world. No one can hold this place or space you hold. No one's hands or arms touch in the same way. But all belong. Everybody take another deep breath in and let it go. And what I wonder, would anybody be willing to share if they saw something? You don't have to. But you can if you want. Oh, a sunset. Oh, a big bear hug. Oh, you heard the laughter of your son. Hmm. Repeatedly, one of the things I find is this beautiful invitation in the scriptures. And I'm going to go back to Jesus' wounds in his hands and in his side. Jesus didn't mind sharing that with others. Because part of it is I think Jesus saw the truth of everything embraced becomes a form of worship. So Jesus was willing to walk on the road and not be understood or seen or recognized. Jesus was willing to, oh, yeah, I'll eat that fish for you. Got it, got it, done. Oh, you need to see my hands again? Okay, yeah, I'll show you, I'll show you. Oh, can we sit down and can we break bread and drink wine together? Let's do this. 
Jesus was relational because Jesus knows God made us as relational human beings. The final movement in this chapter, in this reading, is that this time when Jesus disappeared and went up to the heavens, um, which, come back next week, because Claire Wyatt is preaching on that text. Okay? But the third point, the third movement of this is, when we know it's the voice of God, it will always, always lead us to worship. It will lead us to worship God. Because worship is about recognizing and falling deeper in love with who God is. And we get to participate.